All right, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Monday night, as we are kind of in between games here. Nuggets won last night against the Orlando Magic. They are going to play on Tuesday against the Detroit Pistons, have a nice little revenge game. Not really a revenge game, but it is what it is, against Jeremy Grant of the Detroit Pistons. Uh, Mason Plumley will also be there. Uh, should be interesting to see those guys. I was actually at that game uh, when it was first scheduled, and, and they canceled that game due to uh, coronavirus and, and a, a health and safety protocol mishap. But say la vie, uh, that, that game is going to be replayed. I won't be at that game tomorrow. Brandon Ewing will be for Denver Stiffs, so make sure to check that out. Uh, today's podcast is going to be a mailbag. It's entirely a mailbag. Uh, given how many games there are going to be this week, I wanted to take this one a little bit easy, have you guys ask some questions. I'm just going to have a chat, have a little dialogue. I uh, had a guest lined up that I plan on having soon over the course of the next week. Uh, didn't work out, but it is what it is. We are going to have a good time anyway. So I asked you guys for some questions. Should be a lot of fun. Let's get into it, starting with this one from Jordan Scott at Jordan Dan 20 or 53. Do you think the Nuggets bench is enough? If not, is there anyone out there they could add to stabilize it? Uh, we've heard a couple of names, and I've heard a couple of names recommended to me uh, by, by various people. Justin Jackson, uh, who is a forward and, and played, I think, most recently for the Dallas Mavericks. That would be an interesting name. Uh, could have uh, actually oh, it was the Oklahoma City Thunder that he also played for. He he's a good sharpshooting wing who if if the Nuggets wanted to look for a bench three that could really shoot, that would be a good option. That's probably one of their biggest weaknesses right now, outside of the next position that I'll talk about. It's just a a consistent small forward backup who when Denver decides to go to the bench. They know that they can have some play finishing. They can have some shooting uh, on the outside. and That's going to be one of the things that Denver's going to look for. It's not going to solve everything, but it could be a, a way to get them through the regular season. No, I think the only thing that you would want if you are the Nuggets is somebody that can be in a playoff rotation. And so you start to look at the roster. You start to look at what they have, and you think, okay, so the starting lineup is set. You've got Murray, Barton. Porter, Gordon, and Jokic. You're going to have Monte Morris in there. You're going to have Jermichael Green in there, or at least one of Jermichael Green or Paul Millsap. That is for sure. That's seven guys. What else do you need? What else are you looking for? Well, Will Barton can slide to to the three in a pinch. Uh, You probably, like, you could say that there's a need for another three, but I think you could also size up Aaron Gordon at the three and be okay. You could have uh, Jamichael Green sliding to the four or the five. So I'm not sure the big man spots is what you're looking for. You also just added JaVale McGee. I think you could make a strong argument for shooting guard, especially an off-ball guy, because Denver has enough creation. They have guys like Monte Morris, Faku Campazo, PJ Dozier even, who he hasn't been great lately, but neither has Faku. Uh, you want those guys, they, you want them to have the ball in their hands so that they could create for others and then have another guy who could shoot, have another guy who could defend shooting guards and just small guards in general. 
I think that because Denver traded Gary Harris, you're probably thinking, okay, their biggest weakness now is who is going to guard a guy like Damian Lillard? Who's going to guard a guy like Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, guys like that? I think Jamal Murray's really taken a step up, and, and Will Barton, when he's when he's into the game and when he's engaged, he's actually a pretty good defender. There are definitely moments where he leaves a lot to be desired in terms of the execution standpoint, but he gives a lot of effort, and he's long and athletic. I would say that Avery Bradley is the guy to circle. He's not currently on the market. He's actually playing for the Houston Rockets right now, but I can't imagine that he's super happy with it. Right now, the Rockets are floundering. Christian Wood was just complaining for minutes, and he wanted to, uh, or not minutes, for touches, despite the fact that he had 21 field goal attempts tonight, and he had three rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks. So he's not really doing a hell, hell of a lot except for shooting. And in Houston, they've also got a lot of guys that are young guards that could definitely play. Kevin Porter Jr., Jay Sean Tate, guys like that. If you're Houston, you're probably okay with buying out Avery Bradley if that's what he wants to do. So that would be a name that I would circle. He's a good, solid veteran who's been on a lot of teams. Uh, Wayne Ellington is another guy that I would circle. He plays for Detroit right now. Uh, he's a guy who is on a bad team that Denver is going to see on Tuesday night. He's currently starting, if I'm not mistaken. And he's a guy who's an older guy who is he probably should be a role player on a quality playoff team. That would be his role if it were me. Uh, other than those two guys, I think Denver's probably set. I wouldn't go hard after anybody, especially given that Denver would have to get rid of somebody if they added somebody. So I would kind of play it with a grain of salt. But if a guy like Avery Bradley were on the market, then it would be Denver's due diligence, I think, to go after him. Uh, Bella Loves Nugs asks, Is it time to give up on P.J. Dozier? It seems like he has all of the attributes that make some fans hate Will, but none of the redeeming qualities of late. It's a tough one because you're right that P.J. has really slumped. He has really struggled over these last few games. And it's tough because you want to give a guy the benefit of the doubt. He is one of the reasons that the bench unit is struggling. He's not the only reason, and I don't think he's the catalyst for it struggling, though. He's been given a ton of late shot clock opportunities where it's not optimized offense. It's not a good situation to be in. But the fact is, is that his numbers have just gone down astronomically of late. You hate to see something like that because he was a guy who was shooting 40% from three, earlier in the year, but ever since kind of like the the February-March time, or February time, he has really, really hit a slump. Let's just check his stats for the last few games. Uh, he's only hit one three in his past five, and ever since, let's go since March 1st. Actually, he came back on February 27th from a string of inactive games. So after that stretch... He has shot 30.6% from three. Been pretty bad. 36.9% from the field, too. So the shooting has been bad. The free throw shooting has been really bad, too. I think his defense is really good, and it's really versatile. And, and you want somebody like that who can sort of be the connective tissue of what you do with the starting unit, with the bench unit. 
I think Nuggets fans can really understand that he's a guy who, when you throw him out there, as long as he understands his role and plays that role well, he is an important piece to have because it's 6'6", 6'7", long, strong, athletic, defensive-minded. He can do a lot of the important things that you're looking for. He might be Denver's best option against a guy like Donovan Mitchell. I think that's that's at least a very distinct possibility. So I wouldn't give up on him. That much is for certain. He has clearly gone through a slump, and it doesn't surprise me that Michael Malone, his first instinct with that second unit was to take P.J. PJ Dozier out of the rotation. Uh, I think that that's probably the wrong decision given Denver's personnel. They're going to need a guy like him in the playoffs that can really help replace what Will Barton does when he comes off the floor. John K. asks, Earlier I was thinking about JaVale's first interview with the Nuggets post-trade and how he felt he and Jokic could play well together. Is there any chance we see Malone try out super big and run Twin Towers? I know it's unlikely, but I would know. I wonder how that would work with the Lakers. Uh, it's a good thought. I'm surprised that JaVale has only played six minutes in the first four games he's been here. I thought that he would be a part of the rotation. I didn't expect him to be like in the in the rotation in the first three games that he was here, actually. I thought that Denver would want to try out the Jermichael Green-Paul Millsap rotation. After the first three games, I thought, okay, Sunday going up against uh, Orlando, bad team, definitely don't have a lot to play for. They're on a back-to-back. This is a great opportunity to play JaVale McGee. And then Malone didn't in that first stint. He decided to go with uh, Jamichael Green and Paul Millsap again, as well as Faku, Monte, and Jamal Murray. It was very weird. I didn't like it. I think that Denver is going to start playing JaVale a little bit more. I would be surprised if he was a consistent part of the rotation, but you can also see why that unit would really benefit from having just a, a legit screen and roll option. Somebody who can be involved as a screener and somebody who can roll to the rim pretty consistently while also contributing some rim protection and switchability on the defensive end too. He's not great. He's not this this save, but he is a guy that Denver decided to give up two first-round picks for. They could have just kept Isaiah Hartenstein and not played him. So they gave up two first or two uh, second round picks, excuse me, two second round picks in order to acquire a veteran big man. If they don't play him, that is really shocking. As for the Twin Towers look, uh, I'm going to have to see it to believe it. I think that Jokic can play with anybody and you probably are just going to be fine. There are certain situations where they're more optimized, and I think that the way that Denver's playing right now, with as much spacing and cutting and shooting and athleticism and and uh, and ball handling and playmaking as they have around Jokic, I think that that's the optimal scenario. And going away from it would be it. Like maybe there's a situation where Denver has to play against a team with two bigs. Like j- just going through kind of the playoff picture here. Uh. Is Utah going to play Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert together? They might. If they did, then JaVale McGee might be helpful. Are they going to play the Phoenix Suns? Like, are, is, are the, is Phoenix going to go big against Denver? Maybe with like Frank Kaminsky and DeAndre Ayton, but any bigger than that, I don't think so. Uh, the Clippers, no. The Lakers, sure. 
and uh, Portland maybe. Like, I just can't really see it with Portland. Like, they're a team like Denver that wants to play two athletic forwards that make a lot of sense spacing the floor for Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. So I don't think that Denver's going to run into a lot of situations where they play JaVale and Nicola together. Could they? Is that something that could happen? I, I Anything is possible for sure. Uh, I think that we'll probably, maybe, maybe it's a good idea to at least try it. Maybe there are a couple situations where you're going to see it. I don't maybe maybe Detroit is a is a good team to run it against because they have situations where they're playing pretty big, not as much lately, but they they do have some situations. So we'll see how it goes. I'm curious for sure. Uh, let's go one more question before we hit a break. Um, Dusan asks, "Do you think Malone was right slow playing MPJ all this time, considering how young players he played from the jump?" as in Moutier, Nurkic, etc., turned out versus players he played slow, like Jokic and Murray. Could this be something he's doing with Bull Bull, or is he just a lost cause? Um, with regard to MPJ, there were so many things that Michael Porter really needed to learn in order to be a competent player. He needed to learn that his mistakes on the defensive end weren't okay, and that in order to earn the trust of people, he had to stop making them at such a rate that he did. And he did. He's made so much progress incrementally over the course of these past four months. All the way back to December. You go December, January, February, March, and now here in April. We're in a good situation with him. We're in a really good situation with him. The Nuggets have found out that Michael Porter can be a core member. And they found that out because of the way that he's fit in. Not because of the way he stood out necessarily. It's the way that he's maximized every single opportunity he's had. And as Michael Malone continues to give him a little bit more rope here and there, here and there, gives him more of an opportunity to get as many shots up as he can, the Nuggets are going to be in a situation in the playoffs where they're finally going to let the rope free a little bit. And I think he's probably going to have situations where he's playing with the bench where he's playing as the first option. And the Nuggets are going to count on him to build off of what he's done and continue to grow his game even more. And I like that. And I think that Michael Malone and Michael Porter both had some mutual trust that they earned with each other. That as Michael Porter has continued to do right by the team, Michael Malone has continued to do right by Michael Porter. Getting him into good situations to succeed, they got Aaron Gordon. It's freed up Michael Porter to do a lot of different things. Nikola Jokic is finding Michael Porter consistently because Michael Porter had to earn that trust. And I talked about this. I remember, you guys remember back in February, uh, I was still on uh, the Denver Stiffs Network at that time. Back in February, I talked about this where there was a 10-game stretch where Denver started getting really injured. Paul Millsap went down, Jermichael Green went down, Gary Harris was already out, Will Barton went down for a stretch for sure, uh, Monte Morris went down. You were you went into that Boston game with a situation where Denver, I think, was playing Faku, Murray, Porter, Jermichael Green, Nikola Jokic as the starting unit, and then Jermichael Green got hurt pretty soon after that. That was the low point of Michael Porter's career. That game right there. It wasn't the playoffs. It wasn't uh, 
like he he still like he still had some good things in this Boston game. But in the playoffs you could understand it cuz he was a rookie who was still trying to learn as a sophomore in this Boston game. The Celtics ran actions at him consistently. Michael Porter couldn't stop anything. And then he tried to run at them on the offensive end, the other direction, and he went 0 of 9 from the field. Games like that happen, and I, I, I was there were a lot of players that were quick to tell me when I subsequently asked them that, hey, missed shots are going to happen. We trust Michael Porter. But it took a while to build up that trust after, and it was a slow process. It was a slow burn. But at that point, I said, those games right before the All-Star break were going to be so instrumental in Michael Porter's growth because Jokic, Murray, and MPJ, they had to figure it out. That was the only scenario. That was the only thing they could do because they only had each other. Everybody else was, everybody else was out. Faku Kampaza was starting. Like There was no other place that the scoring was going to come from other than Jokic, Murray, and MPJ. So all three of them had to show out. All three of them had to figure it out. And they clearly have. And this team is so much better for it. They went through their struggles. They've come out of it on the other side really, really strong. And you love to see that from a team like this because they have shown that they could be so resilient that they can come back from the brink like that and be even better. Michael Porter is like that. I think the slow playing of him is a big reason why he ultimately grew. He wasn't ever going to grow if he was given everything right away. There are some things he just never would have learned. Now he knows that he could be an impactful defensive player, and he can do it this year. He doesn't have to wait for years until he reaches his prime. He's going to be impactful this year, and they're going to continue growing his role on the offensive end. I really do believe that. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk more questions with the mailbag. But first, I love the Masters. It is that time of year. Favorite tournament for everybody in Augusta, Georgia. Going to compete for that green jacket. DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. They are the sponsor for this pod. They're putting you in the center of the action by giving you a shot to land in the green. This week, DraftKings is giving you 100 to 1 odds on the golfer of your choosing to finish in the top 10. If you haven't tried DraftKings, this is the time. Turning $1 into $100 is simple. Pick any golfer from this weekend's tournament, and if they finish in the top 10, you cash $100. Could be Rory McIlroy, could be Jordan Spieth, who just won, uh, could be Bryson DeChambeau, who's my, my favorite. 100 to 1 odds on an offer like this, it just doesn't come around that often. So sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook now to get in on all of the action. Choose your golfer before the tournament tees off on Thursday morning. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100. If the golfer of your choosing finishes in the top 10, that's code MHS to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado-only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We will be right back on Pickaxe and Roll.
Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode. Having a good time with this podcast, and I see all the positive reviews coming in. So thank you so much for giving a five-star review on this podcast. It has been great. Uh, it, it grows like this, and it is it is the, the beginning times, I think, for me. And, and I, I look to a guy like Adam Morris, who's just on Zach Lowe's Low Post Podcast, which... Uh, it's the premier podcast in the NBA right now, so that is a pretty cool thing. Adam started where I started. He was the site manager of Denver Stiffs. He broke out, continued to do his thing. He's continued to grow his game. I, I like to pattern myself after some of the stuff that he's done, and I just look up to him a lot. So make sure to give that a listen on the low post for sure. Uh, make sure to check out Adam's work. But uh, if you can, make sure to rate and review five stars on this one as well. That would be super, super cool. All right, let's continue with these mailbag questions here. Alan Williams asks, what is the bench rotation in the playoffs? Does it make sense to play Faku and Monte? Also, only one, of, only two of Sap, Green, and McGee will see postseason minutes depending on the matchups. Who sits when McGee plays? Paul Millsap or Jermichael Green? Yeah, I, 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 it's tough. Like, I think that Denver has a lot of options that they could go to. We haven't even talked about Zeke Naji of late, but Zeke gave Denver some really good minutes, and he's an athletic forward that you're going to need in a, in a playoff series at some point. Fortunately, Denver has Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon, or else Zeke Naji would be in the rotation right now. I think that Denver, going into these playoffs, if you eliminate the starting lineup, you know that they're going to play, on average, probably about 36 minutes a night. You've got Jamal. You've got Will Barton, you've got Aaron Gordon, you've got Michael Porter, you've got Nikola Jokic. So 36 minutes a night from each of those guys, kind of on average, uh, could be 40 for Jokic, could be 32 for Barton or something like that. That leaves 12 minutes per position, 12 times 5 is 60. So you're trying to fill 60 minutes. You're trying to find the guys that are going to fill that time as well as they can. And I look at it like this. Who are the players that I can trust with the most amount of time? I look to Monte Morris at about 20 minutes per game. I think that he's a guy that you can trust in a playoff situation because of what he did last year, because of how he comported himself, and because of how he fits with that starting group. You can give Jamal Murray a rest and put in Monte Morris. You could give Will Barton a rest, put in Monte Morris. You could give one of Aaron Gordon or Michael Porter, a rest, and put in Monte Morris and slide everybody up a position. I think Denver has the capability with Morris out there. I think he's a guy that you want him to play about 20 minutes. Same thing with Jermichael Green, though, a little bit less. Uh, There's going to be times where it's Jermichael Green, where it's Paul Millsap, where it's JaVale McGee. And you're going to want to play one of those guys about 15 to 20 minutes per game. At various positions. If you need a traditional big, it's probably going to be JaVale McGee. He'd probably play about 10 minutes, and that means the Jokic is playing 38. You're probably not playing those two together. So you start doing the math a little bit. You probably don't need a ton more time. You need somebody who can fill in at the wing. You need somebody maybe who could fill in as, as a four. Uh, if Jermichael Green plays the four and the five, then maybe you need somebody at the three and the four. Maybe you need somebody at the two or the three. 
I think that you feel good about Monte with about 20 to 25 minutes a night. Feel good with Jermichael Green about 10, 15 minutes a night most nights. That's about 30 to 40 minutes. You probably need P.J. Dozier. That's the guy that I look to. That's the guy that I think Denver is really counting on in this situation. When you give up Gary Harris, when you give up R.J. Hampton, you need to know that there's a guy at the two who you can trust on that bench unit. I don't know if you can trust Faku and Monte. If you're going to start Will Barton next to Jamal Murray, I don't think you can play Faku and Monte at the same time in a playoff series. Monte already has enough size issues because he's a guy that if you're playing the Los Angeles Lakers, they're going to throw him into the pick and roll to try to guard LeBron James a lot of the time, to try to guard Anthony Davis a lot of the time. You're already going to have some issues there. So I don't think that you want to double down and put Faku out there too. That is playing with fire. And Denver's been burned a lot with that lately. I think you probably have PJ out there. Probably give him about about 10 to 15 minutes a night, depending on what his situation is, depending on how he plays. Uh, And then you're going to go with JaVale McGee or Paul Millsap at times. Probably very situational. If the opposing bench unit doesn't have a real center, you might not play JaVale. You might play Millsap and Green together. Or you might slide Michael Porter to the bench four, and then you play Jamichael Green at the five, or Paul Millsap at the five. That's a combo that has worked too. There are a lot of ways that Denver can do this. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be pretty. Denver just has to survive when Jokic is off the floor. That is the big thing. It's one of the reasons also that I think that Denver is probably not, they're probably going to avoid going full bench if they can. Uh, Certainly they will have Jamal Murray on the floor or Michael Porter. They might even have both. I think there's actually a really good case that Denver's best lineup when it comes to the bench is going to be Monte Morris, Jamal Murray, P.J. Dozier, Michael Porter, and Jamichael Green or Paul Millsap, whoever's playing better. I think you can switch with that group. I think that group is going to cook offensively, despite the fact that Jokic is off the floor. And I think that they're better defensively than a lot of the groups that Denver could throw out there. I trust Michael Porter at the four in a lot of those cases, to make up for some of the size issues. He's done really well with that. P.J. Dozier out there, Jamichael Green out there, two smart defenders to kind of flank him. And then you've got Monte and Jamal to help run the offense. There's a lot to like about that group. That's a group that I think is going to play a lot in the bench. Then you tie Aaron Gordon's minutes to Nikola Jokic. You tie Will Barton's minutes to Nikola Jokic. And you have those guys as kind of the, they're going to be the the bridge player. Or no, uh, Jamal and, and Michael Porter will be the bridge players. Will Barton and, and Aaron Gordon, they're going to have to buoy what Nikola Jokic does consistently. And we'll see if they can do that. All right. Unwasted Time asks, uh, he says, love the show, just a comment, Nuggets, top five duo in the NBA, question mark. Second best trio in the NBA, question mark. Uh, far and away the best four, sorry, Utah. Fun perspective, keep up the good work. Thank you on wasted time. Uh, top five duo in the NBA, I think that's pretty clear. I think at this point, when you when you look at the Nuggets and when you look at what they earned in the bubble, you know that they are going to continue to bring it. Who are the four teams that were there? You had the Lakers, 
with LeBron and AD, I think you can count them as a, a tier above. They are the best duo. I'm sorry. The Celtics? Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum? Nah, I don't think so. They have really fallen off this year, despite the fact that those guys have been mostly healthy. A, a couple COVID issues here or there, but that team has been mostly healthy and they've been bad. So, no thank you. The Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, they're both good. They're both really, really good. Neither of them is great. And that's where it kind of separates with Denver. Jokic is a great player, an all-time great player. And I think you could definitely say that he's one of, like, they're one of the best duos just because of that. Other duos that are definitely in consideration, the the Nets, of course. I think you could make an argument for the Nets over Denver uh, with uh, James Harden, Kevin Durant. I think that's actually, you can make a pretty easy argument that especially from a talent perspective, those guys are over Denver. We'll see what they do in the playoffs. We'll see how that works. I'm not, like, holding my breath that they're going to fail or anything, but we'll see. Um, the Clippers duo, we're going to see. We're going to see how they do. They're very talented. They're very good. They supposedly fit really well together. Denver beat them. Denver outclassed them in the last playoffs. I doubt that the Clippers duo can do it again. Like, or They're probably going to do that again. Like, If, if Denver comes up against the Clippers, I kind of like Denver. Again, Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon really changed that matchup. Um, And yeah, nobody else really compares. I guess you could go Giannis and Middleton, but I trust Jokic and Murray more. Sorry, like those guys are really good. And if Jamal Murray was in the Eastern Conference, he'd already be an all-star. If Nikola Jokic was in the Eastern Conference, he'd already have more MVP buzz. That's just it. Simmons and Embiid, they still have some fit questions. We'll see how it works out in the playoffs. That's my take. All right, moving on. Andrew Hartman asks, come playoffs, do you foresee either Murray or Jokic always being on the court with the bench unit? Would Barton work well with the bench unit as a scoring threat that it currently is without? Starting unit doesn't really need his scoring, but the bench clearly does. So I've heard this a lot, that people think that Barton is going to be the guy that as, as kind of a first option of a bench unit is going to lead them to better places. Barton's not that player anymore. Barton's not 27, 26, athletic and versatile. He's not as good of a creator as he was. The numbers are still good, but there's less kind of dynamic athleticism with him, less shake to his dribble. And of course, he struggles at the rim, which Denver, like, we, we've seen a lot of this, this bench offense and how they struggle when when teams kind of block the rim up a little bit. I think that that's probably a failing situation and that Barton is better in the starting unit. I can see why people think he would be better with the bench unit, but he's he's really not like he's not Jamal Crawford. He's been compared he's been compared to Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams, guys like that for his entire career. He's really not that. He is more of a uh gosh, what is a good comparison for Will Barton? Let's uh let's think about this for a little bit. I want a good one here. Um, there isn't really a great comparison. Just kind of looking through the East. Is there anybody in the West? Like, uh, no, there's, there's really not a good comparison for him because he's better than every bench player that you're going to compare him to. Like he's a more talented scorer and a more talented player, uh, from a, a working off of Jokic perspective. 
But so many of his shots are either assisted by Jokic or kind of in direct congruence with what Jokic does in the pick and roll. Nobody else can recreate that with the bench unit. You're going to definitely struggle if you're in that situation, if you're trying to rely on Will Barton to be the number one. Like, Denver has really struggled with Jamal Murray trying to be the number one on that bench unit lately. And that's, like, Jamal Murray's a better player than Will Barton. And I think that that would be a really tough time kind of setting up Barton to fail. Now, maybe if you staggered both of them, if you had Barton and Murray on the bench, but then what are you doing with Composa? What are you doing with Dozier? What are you doing with those guys? So we'll see how it goes. We'll see what Denver actually does. But maybe there's an argument. I've, I can I can see myself thinking of a good argument for like a Monte, Murray, Porter, Gordon, Jokic starting unit. And then you have Faku, Murray, Barton as the primary bench do, a bench trio. And then you surround those guys with a couple bigs or a stretch four. Uh, I, it's, there isn't a great answer. Like, I think the great answer is Denver's starting unit outscores teams by 10 points and their bench gets outscored by three. And then they win by seven. That's how most of these games are going to go. Um, uh, Skip that one. Corey Blake asks, should Denver keep giving minutes to six bench guys to keep guys ready to use depending on the playoff matchup, or should they look to tighten the rotation down the stretch? I think they should keep giving guys minutes uh, once it gets down to like 15 games left to go. Like right now, I think uh, Denver's at game 50. Tomorrow will be game 50. So once they get kind of seven, eight games from now, a couple weeks, I think that that's, it's a good idea to start tighten th- tightening things up. Uh, we're going to see that. Michael Malone always does it. They're, they want to find a competent bench group that they can rely on. They want four bench guys and one starter that they could throw out there pretty consistently. It's probably not going to happen. And I think that that's a, that's a tough thing. But if you're the Nuggets, you you want to keep your starters fresh. You want to keep your bench kind of engaged as much as possible. I don't know what the best situation is. I have an idea of the bench lineup that I would want to see. I would want to see Monte Morris, Jamal Murray, P.J. Dozier, Jamichael Green, and JaVale McGee. I want to see that unit. We haven't seen that unit yet, and I'd like to see it on Tuesday against Detroit. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but that is the unit that I think could help Denver get through these through these next few games. And we'll see whether they can go beyond that. But I don't know. It's a good question. And and I wish I had the answer on that one, but I'd be lying if I did. Let's take another break. When we come back, we are going to get to some more questions, try to get to some more playoff related and, and some some heavy hitters. We'll be right back. Back, pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Final segment. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's go rapid fire on some of these because I want to get to as many as I can. I realize I I dawdle on a lot of these questions because I try to give insightful answers, and so you're probably thinking, oh, that wasn't that insightful, Ryan. All you said was what I was thinking, and 
well, maybe that's just what you needed to hear. So that is my that is my uh, my positive take for the day in terms of my actual knowledge of the Denver Nuggets. So let's keep it moving. Let's keep it going. Uh, Ryan Wilson asks, can you discuss playing Bull at the three on the bench? We would run a Monte, Dozier, Bull, Millsap, Millsap or Green, and JaVale McGee lineup. So Monte, Dozier, Bull, Millsap or Green at power forward, and then JaVale McGee at center. It's not bad. Like, I think that Bull is a guy that Denver hasn't really found, like they haven't found any way to optimize him at all. And his situations, his uh, his ability to impact games, uh, his uh, his opportunities have been few and far between. And there's there's been a reason for that. He hasn't been the, the best soldier, but apparently he is kind of getting back engaged, getting back involved, and he wants to make a difference for this team in the playoff run. And, and I think that that is in his best interest to do so for sure. Bull is a very unique player, and it would be interesting to see if Denver could run Bull, Millsap or Green, and Jamichael and uh, Javale McGee. Excuse me. Uh, that's a lot of size. I don't think it's good defense. Like Ryan, you said, you say there's good defense here. You do have Monte and Dozier in the backcourt, and that is that is good. But I still think that that team could be really vulnerable to good three point shooting. And that if you're going up against a team like Utah, you do not want to face Utah with a group like that because they're just going to put all of those guys in a blender and wait until they generate an open shot. I don't think the bull can handle that. I think that he probably has to play the four. And the problem is that Denver has like a million power forwards. They have Millsap and Green. Obviously, they have the two starters and Porter and Gordon who can play there. They have Zeke Naji. They have Gary Clark who hasn't even played yet. They have... Uh, Greg Whittington, who really hasn't played yet. I like Bulbul, and I and Vlaco Chanchar, by the way. I like Bulbul, and I want to see him showcase his talent a little bit. But Denver is in a situation where they can't have that many variables, and he is just a massive, massive variable. He travels every single game, and and that's one thing on the offensive end that that drives me nuts. Like his footwork just hasn't been good enough. He gets lost on defense every single game when he plays. That is also not going to help anything. It's not going to help matters with the coaches. It's not going to endear him to anybody. Do I think he deserves another opportunity to prove himself? Yes. I think that there's a reason why he's still on Denver's roster right now. Because Denver probably tried to find him a new home. And they probably couldn't because they didn't play him at all. And teams didn't want to take a chance on a guy like that. And who can blame them? Nobody knows what Bull Bull could be. They just see the highlights and they see the the handles and the shooting and they're feeling like, okay, he's a talented player. And he is. But he has to do everything else. And until he does that, especially in practice, until until he showcases that, until he kills those minutes in garbage time, focusing up, trying to do the right things, he's not going to get in the game consistently. So I hope he plays. We'll see. Uh Dan McNeese asks, what are the odds Malone will sit his trust guys, Faku and Millsap specifically, come playoff time? Uh, hi, Michael Malone is not an idiot. Like, that is, that's one thing that I need to uh, get across to people. Like, I do the rotations a lot, and I tend to have my own preconceived notions on what the rotations should be. Because more than anybody in the world, in the public sphere, who covers the Nuggets... 
like or, or is has an interest in the Nuggets. I feel like I know the rotations of this team the best of anybody. And Michael Malone knows it 10 times, 20 times, 100 times better than I do. There are reasons behind why he does things. He knows the numbers better than anybody. He knows why certain things are the way that they are and why he continues to do things the way that he does. So I'm always going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt. Sorry. I'm always going to give him that extra leash because I don't see everything and because I know I don't know. Faku and Millsap, if they struggle in the playoffs, they are done. They are gone. When Millsap played in the playoffs against the Utah Jazz in the first round, he got sat down quick in each of those games. Denver had to survive the first six to eight minutes of the first quarter, the last four to six minutes of the second quarter, and the first six minutes of the third quarter in the playoff time. And then they went to their optimal lineups, and that included MPJ, by the way. MPJ played a lot of minutes because they knew they couldn't trust Millsap. So, I think there's a reason for that. I think Malone knows how to do this. He is trusting Michael Porter. He is trusting Aaron Gordon. Trusting Jokic and Murray. He trusts Monte Morris more than he does Faku Kambaza. I'll tell you that much right now. I think he likes to trust P.J. Dozier, too. He's going to give these guys opportunities to prove themselves. And if they don't prove themselves, he is going to sit them. That very much is true. I think he wants Faku to work, and so that's why he's working this hard to make it work. If it keeps not working, then he's going to sit him. He's not going to play him too much. You can you can take that to the bank. Lemon Pepper Drew asks, It's been a lot of sunshine and rainbows, but what, if anything, has concerned you about the starting unit since Aaron Gordon's arrival? I'm going to be plain and honest, nothing. Nothing at all. They do a lot of everything that I think is going to be super valuable. If there, uh, I will say there are two things. There are two things that I'm looking at. If there is a physical interior presence that is bothering Jokic, that isn't getting fouls called on them, and it's bothering Jokic from the, the cutting and spacing perspective, I don't know how well Denver's other guys are going to be able to pivot to other actions. I think they are more well-versed to doing other things than the previous lineups were, like uh, Murray, Harris, Barton, and Millsap. Those groups were centered entirely around Jokic. There was nothing else. But this group with Murray, Barton, Porter, and Gordon, I think they're ha- they have more opportunities to be more variable. The other thing is the defense against the lightning quick guards. Uh, guys like Lillard and, and uh, CJ McCollum, uh, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. All, th- all six of those guys on those three quality playoff teams, that is a concern of mine. And we will see how Denver can handle that. Uh, right now, they're going to trust Murray and Barton. They will switch on Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter. We're going to see if those guys can handle that. And we're going to see if Jokic can, can make up for some of that in the pick and roll. We'll see. Um, Kevin Lundberg asks, any news on when we see a healthy Greg Whittington in the lineup? No. Short answer is no. Uh, I wish I knew. He's a guy that it would be fun to see him with this group, especially with the with the bench unit struggling. You'd want to see him get out there a little bit. But this is a lost season for Greg Whittington. 
He's on a two-way contract. I don't know if he's going to be back. We'll see what Denver does. But they, they, I don't think you could look at anything on the floor and say, hey, this is a reason why we want Greg Whittington back. They have to really trust their evaluation. And, uh, and we'll see what, uh, we'll see whether he can get back in healthy. Uh, I, it's too bad because I liked him. I thought he would be interesting. Tony B asks, what are your thoughts on the return of Jeremy Grant tomorrow night? Will Jeremy Grant guard Michael Porter and Aaron Garden guard Jeremy Grant? Yeah, I think you could hit it, hit the nail on the head, Tony, that that's what's going to happen tomorrow night. Uh, Michael Porter and Jeremy Grant are going to go at it. And Aaron Gordon and Jeremy Grant are going to go at it. And Sadiq Bey will end up there somewhere. He's the uh, the Detroit rookie who's been pretty good. Uh, we're going to see how they handle themselves and, and how that matchup really works out. But I think that both Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter will be trying to stop Jeremy Grant as well as they can. Uh, we'll see if it happens. We'll see how it works. But I think that they both have a really good frame and a really good chance to do so. It wouldn't surprise me if Jeremy Grant had a really bad offensive game because a lot of what he does is going to take guys off the dribble. He's going to find those spot-up opportunities to take some deep threes. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles it. But I'm also curious to see whether there's any comments made, whether there's any reactions. It's going to be fun. I'm, uh, I'm, looking ba- I'm looking forward to seeing how Jeremy Grant is received in the Nuggets uniform. I think he might get booed, and, and that'll be... <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, Ben Casperson asks, do you think the Nuggets should run more plays starting with other guys besides Jamal Murray and Jokic? They give out the playoffs. Something the Lakers did was queuing on Jamal, doubling him, or Davis coming up to stop Jokic to ignore his man. Basically a four on two. Do you think that strategy still works? It does not work because Michael Porter is a lethal shooter. Because Aaron Gordon is a lethal cutter. Because Will Barton is going to be in this playoff series. The Lakers aren't going to be able to take advantage of Denver as much as they did previously. Think about the lineups that Denver was starting. They were starting Murray, Gary Harris, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, and Nikola Jokic. Now, you're going to go into that lineup, into into a series against the Lakers. If If you get there, if you're lucky enough, you're going to go with Murray and Jokic, but you're also going to start... Will Barton, Michael Porter, and Aaron Gordon. None of those guys were there before. They all changed Denver drastically. They make them bigger, more athletic, stronger, uh, more skilled. Like, there's a lot to like about that group. So you go tell LeBron James that he has to stick with Michael Porter for for the entire game. Or he has to stick with Aaron Gordon for the entire game. I think that Anthony Davis is going to defend Michael Porter. If, if it were up to me, if, if I were thinking about how they were going to handle it, that's how I would probably do it if I were the Lakers. And then you have whoever's at center, probably Drummond, guarding Jokic. You're really going to double off of Michael Porter if you're Anthony Davis? You're really going to double off of Aaron Gordon as a cutter if you're LeBron? Like, I don't think you can do that as well as you, as well as you previously did. Denver's lineup is just so much more dangerous than they were. They're also better defensively, uh, despite, like, Paul Millsap. He, I, I don't know. We're, we're going to see how that goes. I'm really curious to see how Denver handles that, whether they can stick with the Lakers more consistently. They handled the Clippers well. Michael Porter is going to need to be big, but he, I thought he defended Paul George pretty well. 
We'll see if he can handle Anthony Davis. Who would you prefer for the Lakers to, or for the Nuggets to face in the first round? The Lakers or the Blazers? This question is uh, Nikola Jokic MVP. Um, there are some philosophical things to this that if you're the Nuggets and you want to face an easier opponent, you're probably going to go with Portland. Although if you want to get the harder one out of the way and just try to get through the toughest one, and maybe that's better to face the Lakers early, maybe catch them off guard a little bit. LeBron James kind of needs a little bit, to, a little bit of time to get going. Is it possible that the Nuggets could catch the Lakers sleeping early in the playoffs before they kind of get up to speed? There is something to be said for that. I'd still probably rather face Portland just because I think Denver should be favored in that series. They've, they've really had a lot of success with Portland over the course of these last couple of years. Uh, that was with Gary Harris. It was with Torrey Craig. And we'll see what Denver can do without those guys. But Denver's more dangerous than they were, and they were pretty dangerous against Portland these last two years. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, how am I doing on time? Got about 50 minutes. Let's do one more question. Let's scroll through here. Okay, got to end on this one. What can be done about how the officials are ignoring fouls on Nikola Jokic? This comes from Eben Pelsiger. Um, my, my apologies, sir. I totally butchered your name. Um, what can be done about the officials are ignoring fouls on Nikola Jokic? I don't think anything can really be done. I think that fouls are either going to be called or they're not. And Jokic is going to react to them either way. He's either going to be thankful that they call said foul, or he's going to get angrier and angrier as they ignore it. And you hope it's the former. You hope that especially when he's fouled, especially when he's hit in the face, that Jokic gets the benefit of the doubt in a lot of these cases. I think it's probably going to be better in the playoffs because you're going to have crews that are more keyed in on those situations. You can talk to those crews during a series. You know that it matters that much more than a game against Orlando on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. I think that makes a lot of difference. And people don't want to hear that. Fans don't want to hear that. Jokic will be better at drawing fouls in the playoffs. Or he'll just like kind of hunker down and say, hey, look, I'm just going to fight through it. And I'm not going to worry about getting hit in the face. Because they may just not call it anyway. The expectation of getting a call and not getting it is almost more difficult to deal with than the foul itself. So I wonder if Denver just has to have a come-to-Jesus moment with Jokic and say, hey, look, we are fighting for you in every single way. We're trying to figure it out. We are trying to, we're showing clips to the league office. We're showing stats to the league office. We're trying to cape for you as much as we can in the public without getting fined. I think there's a lot of reason to think that Denver has done a lot behind the scenes in order to try to solve this problem. Have they solved it? Clearly not. There's still a lot that needs to be said. There's still a lot that needs to be done. But as Jokic continues to push for this MVP, that might be the only thing that really solves it. That might be the only thing that that puts him on a pedestal so that officials will referee him in a correct way. Where he gets fouled after getting hit in the face. And when when he screams and when he calls foul, they listen. 
and they listen early. They don't have to wait for the technical foul at the beginning of the game. They don't have to wait for Jokic to berate them at the beginning of the game for them to call it efficiently and call it correctly. I don't know how much it can actually be done because, as Matt Moore likes to say, refereeing is an act of God. You cannot control it unless you are the Los Angeles Lakers. That's it. That's it. That's the only way to do it. And Denver doesn't have that luxury. But they do have the MVP. They do have a really talented team. They have a coach who has figured it out and continues to figure it out and has taken this team further every single year. There's no reason to question that now. And I think that they're going to fight for him. They're going to fight for Jokic. They're going to fight for the entire team as this continues to unfold. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much for hopping on with me and and answering the, or asking those questions for me to answer. It was it was really fun to talk with the audience in this manner. I like doing this. I like doing the mailbag on DenverStiffs.com. Lots of great questions to answer. Lots of great, just interactive ways for me to to hop on with the audience for sure. I will be back tomorrow to have a recap of the Detroit Pistons game. And then we're going to have San Antonio on Wednesday and Friday. So lots of content from me, lots of ways to get involved. So if you could rate and review five stars on iTunes, and that would be awesome. I will talk to you guys very soon. Thank you.